from the new recording lair located deep beneath the Wine and Spirit Store in Ephrata, Pennsylvania. You're listening to the Masonic Light Podcast. Studio 665 presents Masonic Light Podcast. This show is recorded by Masons, for Masons, and is for entertainment purposes only. And please, no wagering. This podcast is not endorsed by any Grand Lodge, and the ridiculous ramblings of the hosts are their own. And now, here's your host. Hello, everybody. Welcome. Episode 74. 74. Wow. 74. Mm. If we were on the radio, the FCC would have taken us off whale before now. Whale before. So welcome, everybody. We have a great show lined up. Um, we're, we can't believe we're actually talking to our guests because after two hours of trying to get the audio, <laughs> we came in at, Mike, we came in at five o'clock to get this crap right and uh, we failed. So <laughs> we did it. Um, so our guest today is uh, a world famous author and cartographer. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I'm world famous. Yeah, in my mind. Are there any famous cartographers in this generation? Yeah, there is Jean Louis Riault from Montreal, Quebec. He's like the Obi Wan, <laughs> and I'm, I'm his apprentice. Ooh. I love it. Well, there's always two. Use the map, say. Luke. Um, so, and I'm going to screw your name up. It's uh, author Michael Carpavage. Close. Are you good? There Are you we good? go, Michael. Uh, and he is the author of Crown of Serpents and the following two novels. Um, and, uh, <laughs> which, which, which are which, which are map, map of thieves and the skull of disguises. Ooh. These are three, three books in the the Tanunda mystery series. So Tanunda. I've I've read one. I read one. I well, think, I'm reading one. I think we all got um, through Crown of Serpents. Uh, at That's least fun. at least most of us, Tim. <laughs> Some of us uh, read the uh, Cliff Notes. <laughs> <laughs> It's on order from Amazon. I apologize. <laughs> if I remember correctly, you had to ask us about what he wrote. Exactly. <laughs> it was it was still in my it was still in my uh, cart on uh, Amazon when I looked at that. I went, oh crap. But uh, Mike, you were referred to us by one of our previous guests, Chief Bill Harvey, and right. he is a super fan of yours. Yes. So. Um, Hey, well, we'll strong South Carolina Mason down there, uh, Georgia, Georgia, Savannah, actually, Georgia, Savannah. yes, Savannah, Georgia, Savannah, Georgia. Yep. Yeah, he he read all three books, and Miss Rita Harvey 2.0 read all three, books, <laughs> and she loved them too. <laughs> Shout out to Miss Rita. There, there it is. And so, uh, just today, he left a five star review on Crown of Serpents. So, uh, very pleased to hear that. Yeah, we did invite him to come, and he wanted to, but he had a conflict. Um, you know he's he's very nice and folksy, but the truth is, he is in demand. He travels all over the United States giving important talks about public safety and active yeah. shooters. And yep, yeah, yeah he's yeah, a great sure. man. Yep, yeah, sure is. I think uh, I did a I recently did a present a lecture at Clinton Lodge number fifty four in Savannah, and uh, Dan Leisure 
used, you know, used to be a Savannah police officer too for many years. And I think they both served together. And I think through Dan put me in touch with Bill and I went from there. Very cool. So what we're going to do first, um, just out of tradition, nobody really likes it, but we just can't help ourselves. <laughs> uh, we go quickly around the table. Um, we'll start with Tim. What have you been up to, anything Masonically, the past couple of weeks? Actually, the last couple of weeks have been very busy. Um, Samuel C. Perkins, Royal Arts Chapter Number 209, had one of our hosts, one of our sponsors, uh, Sean Spinagle, come and do a program on cigars and a cigar night. <laughs> Uh, but it was one of the best attended meetings we've ever had. Awesome. Uh, we sat in the parking lot, and literally the uh, timer on the parking lot lights went out, and we thought, <laughs> okay, it's time to go home. Um, but it was that was a great night. Um, I was asked to participate in the uh, Valley of Harrisburg um, scholarship review. Apparently, all of the valleys in the northern Masonic jurisdiction give out a fairly significant scholarship to... Uh, people related to folks in uh, Scottish Rite and uh, spent a better part of a day reviewing uh, those and I was that's tough to amazed. do it was hard let me tell it you is. I, I did because it for our there's, lodge. A, there's a cut line and it's like man <sighs> yeah you know the first several whenever you get close to that line it's tough mm-hmm. um, that was really tough um, we had an at Eureka West Shore Lodge number 302 we actually had 30 show up at our past master's dinner which is amazing especially for our spring meeting we have one in the spring and one in the fall the one in the fall we hear from the incoming master about his program and stuff and that's kind of fun and a lot of guys show up for that but the spring one was just amazing to see that many guys come up we had a great night of fellowship um and then this past weekend actually spent some time up in smithport um which is way up it's like right on the new york border Wake me up when Tim's done. I'm sorry. Uh, you asked me what I did Masonically. So, um, but I, I, I got to actually talk about the podcast there, and uh, uh, there were some folks up there that had, had listened to the podcast, and so got to put a plug in for that. Do they have the internet in that part of Pennsylvania? They finally got internet up there. Um, it's dial-up still, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so that's uh, that's what I've done over the last couple of weeks. Larry, you had an exciting couple of weeks. Yeah, I have, but none of it's been involving Freemasonry, <laughs> other than the fact that I did get my most, and, and Josh and I both did most excellent Master Mason degree in York Wright uh, last week, which was a great experience, actually. Very neat. Yeah. Outstanding. And that's it, because I haven't gone anywhere to do anything in the past two weeks, because I've been too busy. You came to my Tall Cedar breakfast? Yes, I did. Well, that was a fun thing. That was, yeah, that was excellent. We had a huge attendance for that. Overwhelming. (laughs) They couldn't serve us. (laughs) Jack. (laughs) Uh, Help me. Um not 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 a whole lot. I missed the most excellent master degree at my chapter where these two guys were um, received and accepted, I think. Yeah, most excellent master masons, yes. And um, I also missed my uh, induction into Tall Cedars uh, because I was attending to my necessary avocations. But um, we're, we're stoked. We're still uh, sort of basking in the afterglow of the George Washington Bible event 
uh, just Michael for you, we had the we had George Washington's Masonic Initiation Bible here uh, at Ephrata Lodge, and we had uh, we had 115 people in our lodge for for that for that night. That was just absolutely astounding, and to hear uh, just it, it we're still just sort of vibrating from that. But um, but anyway, that's about all I had going on. I've got uh, Grotto coming up this Sunday. So by the time you hear this, that will already have happened, and we will need bail bonding. Whiskey tasting. Yes, whiskey, uh, tasting. whiskey tasting with George Reppert, who will be initiated um, at that meeting. So, yeah. Uh, I've been kind of busy. I had um, We just conferred the select Master Mason degree on a couple candidates in council, and... Tall Cedars, where I'm also in charge. We had a Easter breakfast. 20 people RSVP'd and 30 showed up. Wow. <laughs> that helps with catering. Gotta love that. Yeah, and um, I think some people are still waiting for their breakfast to arrive, but it was a good time, just really slow service. Uh, and last night was... <laughs> are we going to ask for advertising from those people? For, uh, probably not. No, um, I don't think so. And you went to PGA. Oh yeah, was it the Pennsylvania? Oh, I forgot about that. Yes, Pennsylvania Grotto Association up in where was that? That was in, in Harrisburg. Harrisburger. Yeah, that was fun. Not really. I mean, it was okay. <laughs> uh, the after parties are always the good. guys who planned it worked very hard to make it a fun event for the people that came. Let's yeah. just Doc let's did just a Doc it did a Doc great, did a great job. job. Yes. Um, last night, just I just in case he's a listener, we wanted to say. I don't know. Well, last night I had Tall Cedars. We brought in uh, two, two or three candidates showed up. Oh, that hurt. I hear you ended up on cleanup detail. I did. Well, you got to do what you got to do. <laughs> All righty. And Josh, anything going on? Uh, no, I was, well, at the degree with Larry, and uh, I had an officer meeting, but other than that, no. Mike, have you done anything in the, anything Masonic the past couple of weeks? Are you busy authoring and cartographing? Yeah, I was busy. I did some Masonic stuff, of course. I did a lecture at the... Augusta Research Lodge in Augusta, Georgia. That was last Friday. They had a great turnout. 25 Masons and their wives uh, sold out of books, so I was very appreciative of that. Um, before that, I spoke at the Alpharetta Masonic Lodge, number 235 in Alpharetta, Georgia. Um, excellent turnout there. The brothers loved it. Um, got another invite to speak at another lodge, you know, for both of these lectures. That's what usually happens. Um, and coming up Monday, April 29th, I'll be going to Georgiana Davis Lodge, number 338 in Trustville, Alabama, uh, to do my, my lecture. My lecture is on uh, 15 stories of enemy Freemasons saving each other in times of battle, facing death. Um, and I go from Revolutionary War up to World War II stories. So there you go. That's very cool. Well, we look forward to maybe hearing one of those uh Later in our show. Uh, Josh, let's take a quick break and we'll come back with author Michael Karpovich. Karpovich. <laughs> At the historic Smithton Inn of Ephrata, Pennsylvania, we're pleased to serve the latest creations from Weathered Vineyard Winery, along with spirits from Thistle Finch Distillery in Lancaster, all to be experienced in the tasting room of a beautifully restored 18th century bed and breakfast. Cigars by DNS Cigar are available for your enjoyment in the courtyard. The historic Smithton Inn is convenient to Lancaster County's most interesting attractions. Just minutes from the Ephrata Cloister and the Green Dragon Farmer's Market, 
and a short drive can get you to charming Lidditz, thriving downtown Lancaster, as well as Hershey, Bird in Hand, and Intercourse, or Valley Forge and Gettysburg. Whether you're looking for a romantic getaway or an active vacation full of sightseeing and attractions, the historic Smithton Inn will be a welcoming oasis from everyday life, one that you'll want to visit again and again. Stop in and visit at 900 West Main Street in Ephrata, Pennsylvania, or check out our website at historicsmithtoninn.com, or simply call us at 717-733-6094. Just ask for Passmaster Dave. Welcome back. Our, our guest tonight is Michael Karpavage. Our, our, but in the coal regions of Pennsylvania, it's Karpovich. So, but anyway, whatever. Uh, Michael is a renowned author and cartographer, which I think we kind of said earlier. And let me tell you just a tiny little bit about Michael. He was raised as a Master Mason in 2005 at the Fidelity Habasco Lodge, which is number 51 in Ithaca, New York. And he was junior warden before he moved to Atlanta, Georgia. And for some unusual, maybe I shouldn't say this, for some reason or other, he's not uh, affiliated with any lodge in Georgia. But he does, uh, he's on a lot of speaking engagements throughout the South and lectures and so forth and book signings to a whole lot of different lodges. And I guess I could start off by saying, why aren't you a member of a Georgia lodge? But I won't do that. Um, and anyway, Michael, as I said, was a, was a great... <laughs> <laughs> I told you, he was going to tell you what you're going to say, right? <laughs> Jeez. Anyway, but what I wanted to mention, too, was that uh, we are currently, I think... Some of us have read the book already. We covered that too, Larry. Yeah, yeah. we covered that already, but <laughs> Crown of Serpents is one of your great books. And again, Map of Thieves is, is the other book. And uh, also, too, I'll find it Skull of Disguises. Uh, All right, Larry, take a break. We're, yeah, we're take done. a break. Yeah, we're done. But one of, the, one of the questions I want to ask you, we know about the three books and the affiliation relationship to Freemasonry, but you also wrote another book called Flashpoint Quebec. But yes. that doesn't show up anywhere in any... Um, what, what's that all about? So that was my first attempt to be the next Tom Clancy. Oh, <laughs> well, what, what, did, what happened? The United States go to war with Fan Canada fiction? or something what? like that? Or? Uh, as, as actually, you know, it was based on some true history about Quebec trying to secede their province from Canada. And they actually, they voted on that. I think it was, um, it was, it was in the in the 80s and they were like one percent away from actually seceding mm. so they had a you know they had a rebellious movement um uh with the quebecers one of, you know one of their own french french their french province um so so based on kind of that historical uh you know incident there uh, i concocted a story where it was a nato it was a nato alliance where Canada called on the United States, in particular the 10th Mountain Division up at Fort Drum, New York, which is right across the border. Uh, because, you know, fictionally in the book, the Quebecers did succeed and they, they captured tanks, you know, some Canadian Army tanks. <laughs> and there was, there was an actual rebellion in, in one of the, you know, one of the cities. So it was, a, it was an urban combat type of Tom Clancy novel. And 
you know, that was my first attempt at it. I got it published and, you know, your first book, um, you know, sometimes, you know, you improve in your writing as the years go by. So I just, I kind of took it off the market. You know, it's still out there. You can like find it on Amazon. And I think someone sold it for like 300 bucks, some third. (laughs) Such a rare book. Anyways, you know, so it was my first attempt. It was for the military um, history market. And from there, I, I, you know, it was just such a narrow market that I wanted to switch to a, a more general audience. And that's why I went to the mystery thrillers. So it was kind of like Brexit before Brexit, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, actually, I, I think they stole your idea, but uh, Super Troopers 2. That's <laughs> um, <laughs> right. You talked about not- you were the precursor to uh, Tom Clancy. Uh, Larry actually gave Dan Brown the ideas that he put made all the money on, yeah, too. Yeah, Pete so. can attest to that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I was affiliated with the Georgia Lodge for just a couple years until past Grandmaster McDonald made a mess of Georgia Freemasonry with his his edict. So uh, a lot of us didn't agree how he inserted his personal religion into his edict. And a lot of us uh, resigned out of protest, out of principle, and I was one of those. And, um, you know, it took me a couple of years to come back to Georgia Lodges and start visiting again. You know, I was pissed off. And like a lot of guys were pissed off. Um, so I'm, I'm back at, you know, visiting Georgia Lodges and uh, I'll tell you what, karma has hit McDonald. Um, yes. he's pretty much, uh, pretty much gone. And, uh, hopefully, you know, hopefully that'll get his, the, the bylaw will get changed and things will go back to normal. So you were able, now, because you're a New York Mason, you were able to kind of retreat back home and stay a Mason, but, exactly. Um, yeah. I was always affiliated with my home lodge in, in New York. Um, you know, uh, brother in good standing there. And then I affiliated with uh, Georgia Lodge, just resigned out of that lodge. But I maintained two, you know, dual lodges at, at the time. So I'm, I'm, you know, officially back with my, my New York Lodge. I've always been with my New York Lodge. So um, tell us, give us a little uh, a summary about your, 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 your series. Um, like I said, we heard about this from Chief Harvey and he, one of the things he said was, you guys, you would really like this if you're like former law enforcement, former military, like it's it's a guy's book for guys. So that's that's the kind yes. of way he, he explained it. Yeah. And he said the thing that he was most happy about was um, the research that you do into little things. So – and it's stuff that makes me nuts when I watch television – Every police show, before somebody goes to fire a gun, they always have to rack back and load a shell, even if it's a revolver. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I say, yeah. So, yeah, they're definitely they're definitely books for guys, especially law enforcement, military. Uh, you know, more on the conservative side, very patriotic. You know, guys who are patriots, guys who love our country, uh, respect LEOs and in, in the military. Um, and, and that's the target audience I wanted to go after because my main character is a, uh, you know, an army vet, uh, 10th Mountain Division. He actually, that character of, of Jake Tanunda actually came out of Flashpoint, Quebec. He was a minor character in that book. So um, I, I kind of carried him over to, you know, his own series. Um, so he was a combat vet, 
And then he turns military historian and works for the Military History Institute out of Carlisle, Pennsylvania. Um, and so people who love military history will, you know, will love my books because I get it, I go deep into the research of military history. Um, and, and part of that research is I interview uh, police officers, state troopers, you know, military guys, uh, you know, and I ask them the questions to try and make the books realistic as possible. So they'll give me uh, terminology that they use in the field. Or they'll give me little, you know, secrets about police procedure. Uh, so these, so they're like, so like Bill said, these these little details I try to insert in the book, and guys like him will pick up on that and will mm-hmm. that. Um, you know, uh, oh, so for like in Crown of Serpents, it took me six months to set up in to set up uh, a tour of the Seneca Army Depot, the the abandoned military base in Seneca County, where the, where the setting of the book is, I had to go through the local uh, IDA. And then finally, I got the, the interview with the chief of security, the army chief of security. And he took me around for an hour and a half personal uh, tour of the entire base. And we actually went into the, what was once the highly secure Q area where they supposedly stored the nukes and you know the special weapons. So he took me all around and, and I interviewed him for the f- full hour and a half. And I got like some of the history on, on the depot and, and, you know, asked him questions about rumors and legends of the base and things like that. So um, just being persistent and, you know, trying to, you know, learn the details about different techniques out there. Uh, I think it really, it really shows, it, sh- it shows in the book. People, people realize there's a lot of research put into it and appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. I noticed it right away. Yeah, and it, it's it's interesting having lived in western New York and been through that area. That used to be my sales territory. So yeah. it's it's a very it's a very um it it's a very unique part of the United States. And its history is is very unique because of its Native American population that's still there, still, still owns the land. It's it's still uh, it, it's still uh, you know tribal uh, uh, affiliations, whatever the right nomenclature is for that. But it's um, it's a very interesting read from that respect. In that in that they still strive to maintain that separateness while while still being sort of a part of the United States, but not being uh you know it, it's a really delicate balance that they have to walk it's kind of neat. It, it is and, and when i wrote the book um geez i guess it was 2004 i started the book it officially came out in 2009 so i was living up there at the time in waterloo and i was a volunteer firefighter and uh commuting to my art director job at an ad <clears throat> up in rochester so i knew i you know i new to the area, I started tapping into the local politics and there was you know, a lot of animosity with the locals and the Indian tribes, especially with the land and the broken treaties and then wanting to put a casino in and, uh, you know, gas stations and, and them not paying taxes like New York state's citizens. So, so I, so I, uh, I reflected all that, that, pol- that local politics into Crown of Serpents, you know, and the, one of the, ma- the main villain is Alex Nero. And he's a, you know, a billionaire casino magnate out of the Onondaga nation. And his character was built after 
his, his character is modeled after, you know, a, a real casino owner who was an Indian. So even within the Indian nations, there's animosity between the tribes and like the Mohawk, like some, some of his, uh, some of his thugs that he employs, you know, uh, the mouth guy, right. uh, the mouth, um, you know, he came from the Mohawk, like a, a drug smuggling ring and a human smuggling ring across the St. Lawrence River. So even within, you have kind of a, you know, conflict within the tribe. So again, all that's all that's built into the subplot, you know, uh, kind of the behind the the backstory of, of, of the book. Um, but again, like as a volunteer firefighter, though, going out on on fire calls and uh, EMT calls, uh, you know, I took I took those details and that experience and those like the one character in the beginning of the of the book uh, when there was you know when they when Jake was in the swamp I was in that actual swamp and you know when the firefighters come into that scene I kind of put myself as the captain and he's berating one of the other firefighters who's a racist little you know piece of crap. And there's, there's guys out there in the fire department just like that. You know, they hate Indians. Um, so these are real-life experiences that have popped into the book. So on the Masonic side, you, you, you go out of your way. I mean, this, the book starts out by taking American history and, and folding into it the Masonic component, which is absolutely lacking in every history book every biography i read a complete biography of harry truman there's no mention of his being a mason that's ridiculous right so so i i I respect the fact that you are are drawing that out and and pulling masonic history into what happened back then Uh, how did you come to that point where you saw that there was this is not being talked about well there's another may i say there's another component uh, the Native American component and the Native Americans who were Freemasons on yeah. both sides of the Revolutionary War and, of course, continuing into present day. And I think you masterfully brought that out as well. Right, right. And the, these are – so let me backtrack. You know, when I, when I started Crown of Serpents, I, I wanted to do the next uh, uh, Clive Cussler adventure novel, Right because it was based on rumors that there was an underground river linking Seneca and Cuba Lake. So I thought, okay, who would, who would know about that but, but the Iroquois Indians? And that's when I became a Mason in 2005. And I came across that, that Masonic battlefield incident where one enemy Mason saved another. Um, and once I became a Mason and researched that incident, I incorporated that into the book, and the plot just you know went from there because because I, I was dealing with real, true historical figures. Uh, so it just it all snowballed, and then now my core audience was Masons, and they appreciated this history that you know a lot of people, a lot of Masons don't know about. So not only is it for the general public, but it's also for Masons. Then you have, you know. Because it's like it's like the movie National Treasure with with Nicolas Cage, um, but my books are rated R, <laughs> if you will. Um, 
so they're they're adventurous, they're mystery thrillers, they're entertaining, but they're also highly educational for the history and especially for Masons. And you know, out of these three books, I get calls from guys who became Masons based on them reading these books, which are fiction, but they learned about how Masons treat each other, you know, what their core values are. Well, um, the the books are fiction. But yeah. but the Masonic component that you build into it is is not necessarily fiction, right? Those That's those, correct, those yeah. people were Masons, and they did those things because they were Masons. Uh, so so there's a yeah. component. So in the beginning of Crown of Serpents, it takes you back to 1779 and that battlefield incident. And I and I did the research on you know witnesses on both sides of the sides of that fight. And this is what I talk about in the lecture. Um, is that Chief Joseph Grant was was he was allied with the British. He was the first Native American to on record to become a Freemason. He, he became a Mason in 1776 in London, England. He was given his apron by King George III himself. Okay, so he's on one side of the fight, allied with the British, and then you have Lieutenant Thomas Boyd, an American Continental Army scout, who was taken prisoner. He's about to lose his life. Hit, you know, he's about to get a, a tomahawk to the skull and, and scalped and dismembered. And he knew that was coming. And what did he do? He knew of Brant's reputation as a Mason. And he threw up that grand hail sign of distress as his last resort. And what did Brant do? His enemy. He, he, he protected him. Right. He said he's under my protection. And so, and so that whole incident I opened the book with. You know, it's like in the thick of battle, and it ends with, um, it ends with the the grand hail sign and, and the protection, and then you jump to the present day, and how that that past that past incident is revealed in the present day um, through different clues, the discovery of this journal of Thomas Boyd and what have you. Um, but for readers that are interested in that full story of Brant Boyd, in the back of the book. And also on my website, carpavagecreative.com, I have the article that I wrote that was published by the Scottish Rite Research Society out of D.C. in their newsletter. Um, it's an eight-page article. It's there for free. And that gives you the full story of how, you know, what Boy did, how he screwed up, how he got ambushed, how he was saved, what his... Uh, ultimate fate was how he was tortured to death and one of the most heinous murder deaths in, in American military history. So these are like, you know, value added things uh, for the readers. So I think we want to take a break for a minute just to catch our breath. Cause this is awesome. And we want to keep going on it, but uh, yeah, when we come back, Michael, uh, you told me a little bit of a story about your grandfather and I'd like to get into that when you come back with that, that'd be good. Yes, that would be good. Not my grandfather, uh, someone else's grandfather, but I'll share that story. Oh, okay, okay. We'll be right back. Why choose George J. Grove & Sons for your next home improvement project? At George J. Grove & Sons, we've built our reputation on quality and trust for more than 50 years. For planning to materials to installation, George J. Grove promises a home improvement experience second to none. Whether your goal is reducing energy costs, decreasing maintenance, updating curb appeal, or simply increasing the value of your home, 
the George J. Grove team will recommend and provide solutions that stand the test of time. Call 717-393-0859 for an estimate or visit us at georgejgrove.com. back with uh, episode 74 here and for you listeners that are are getting a, are, are a little bit interested now in, in buying the book you do have a chance uh, if you go to masoniclightpodcast.com masoniclight.com <laughs> it's masoniclight.com that's my website I know what it is um, you can click on a link and you can enter to win uh, Michael is giving away the whole trilogy to one lucky listener. Can I win? Can I win? No, you are not eligible. <laughs> I ordered too soon. Yeah, I, I don't know why you're not eligible, but I just other contests say that if you work for the company, you're not eligible. I That's hate your rules. Yeah, really? yeah, rules. So, uh, yeah, you're not eligible, but uh, a lucky listener will be eligible to win. So what we're going to do is uh, we're going to – take entries for like about a week and a half and on the next recording in two weeks from today's date we're going to draw the winner on next on the next episode absolutely so you need to get your entries in prior to may the 8th that's correct so uh mike larry was teasing us here with somebody's that's michael by the way that's michael is his author name Mike, Mike is my podcast name. There you go. There you go. Yeah, I'd hide too if I were you. <laughs> so, Michael, tell us the story that uh, Larry was hinting at. Okay, so when I do my lecture, I talk about 15 different stories throughout military history of enemy Masons saving each other uh, when they're about to lose their life. So story number 11 takes us to World War II. And I'm going to read this story for you. It's about a German officer freeing U.S. soldiers. This came from Brother Jason Daly. And it goes as as the following. A brother at a lodge I visited told me about his grandfather, who was a World War II vet, and how he and another soldier had been captured by the Germans. They were placed on their knees to be executed. He was about to get shot, and I gave the words of distress, as well as the man next to him. And their lives were spared by an officer. They were taken aside by the German officer who asked them how they knew the words, and they told him they were Masons. Under the dark of night, they were fed a hearty meal in a small room and taken to a spot where they could escape easily without capture. The irony, of course, is that Freemasonry was banned in Germany, and the German officer was also a Mason, but his life was spared from concentration camps or execution because his name was not on a list. So that... That story right there is the essence of, you know, of my lecture. And now what I'd like to do is a, I'd like to take, show you how I took that true story and then how, how I brought it into fiction, into my novel, my third novel, Skull of Disguises. So, again, you know, grabbing that research, but then kind of twisting it a little to fit my characters. And I'm going to do a reading from Skull Disguises, and this is this is um, the one character who's talking. His name is uh, 
Duff Pappy Greenhall, and he's a Prince Hall Mason. Okay, um, he's uh, at this time he's a you know ninety ninety something year old World War II vet living on Sapelo Island, and he's talking about how his life was saved in Germany when he fought in World War II as a Buffalo soldier, a black soldier fighting in northern Italy. Okay, so here's a reading from the book. I was wounded, Duff said, pointing to his knee. Was shot in my kneecap, could hardly walk. Was trying to escape, and this old German soldier captures me, crawling out of a burning cellar. Sees my condition and is going to off me right there. Puts me against the wall and aims his rifle at me. I put my hands up and pray. He doesn't shoot. He grabs my hand and looks at my ring. Recognized me as a Freemason from my ring and pats his chest to tell me he's one too. Duff raised his hand and showed Jake and Sammy his scratched up gold Masonic ring with a square and compasses symbol. That old veteran soldier done looked around to make sure no one saw him, gave me a drink of water, put his fingers to his lips, and then I'll never forget it. Tipped his head and whispered, Schnell. It means go. He let me go. He let me go and I made it back to our lines. I survived all because of our fraternity. It doesn't matter our ideologies or our loyalties to any army or the damn color of my skin. It was because of pure brotherly love of a man about to lose his life. That old soldier defied Nazi orders to not take any black prisoners, but he saved another man's life. Mine, mercy, praise be to God, he showed me mercy. Wow. And so that's a powerful, that's a powerful excerpt that goes to the heart of all these books of how, you know, one Mason is going to help another Mason out. And in this case, taking true history and interweaving it into, well, fiction. So so your, your, your 15 stories that you tell in your, uh, in your talk, if you haven't already, you really should put those in a short book that you can market. (laughs) Well, you know, it's, it's funny. I started off with, 10 or 12 stories and I started doing the lectures and brothers took me aside or they emailed me and they started telling me other stories and now it's up to 15. And this is, this is how, you know, I, I go to lodges. I'm kind of giving back to lodges from my experience as a Mason and providing educational programs where these lodges need this type of stuff. This is what brothers clamor for. And they come up to me afterwards and they, you know, this is, this is what we want. We want this kind of history. We want to learn from, from, you know, what, what happened with the, you know, other Masons back in, in time. We, we want, we want, we want this history, but we want this future too. We want this to happen today. We hear about it 25 years ago, 50 years ago, 75 years ago, 150 years, 200 years ago Mm -hmm. we we don't hear about it today we don't hear about it today where is it um well i have some experiences but they're kind of a little lower on like um are you okay to drive home you know kind of things so yeah i mean it does happen just not as highbrow (laughs) maybe maybe but but those are the stories that that are the soul of this fraternity Exactly, and, yeah. and bless you for for passing those stories on because we need to get back to where it means that much to be a brother, and that there are so many brothers that there's a chance that if you ever find yourself in that position, 
you would consider it your duty. Yes, yeah, and that's your obligation. That's your man-to-man oath. And that's right. What, that you know that that's what makes masonry, this fraternity, so uh, so cohesive and so powerful to last what you know three hundred plus years, right? When you see governments and nations come and go, regime changes, but you always have the Masons to rely on. Um, it's funny. <laughs> you're only supposed to use the grand hell sign of distress or the words or, you know, show your tattoo or show your ring when you're really, really distressed, when you're maybe about to lose your life and lose everything that matters to you. And, and these are the stories that encompass that. And, you know, you see some of the stuff on the Internet, how some some Mason, you know, throws up a Internet hell of distress because he lost his job. I'm like, and you know, what the hell are you doing, dude? It's like, it's, it's like you know, go on welfare if, if you need money. Go go on a training program. Go to your local church. There's all these safety nets of society before you go and ask for a Masonic GoFundMe campaign just because you lost your job. It's like, fuck up, buddy. You know, this is the wrong use of the hell sign. Bam. Now, we're with you, and that's, you know, like in in Pennsylvania, we kind of just officially instituted an almoners program a few years ago, and, and that's a thing that the local Chet Lodges are having some challenges with. Um, you know, the, the, the men that are really in need don't ask. And, you know, and, and then when somebody does ask, I'm sure it's important to them, but it puts everybody in an awkward position. You know, like you don't want to be a jerk and not help, but, you know, how do you determine who to help? Yeah, if we kept things on a real life or death, it'd be a lot easier. Well, and I think also it requires us to know our brothers. And because you're right, I mean, they won't ask if they really are in distress. And so it challenges me, at least, to try to know my brothers better so that I can be the one to step forward and say, hey, this person needs our help, is in real trouble and needs our help. Because you're right, they won't they won't do that themselves, and that, and that's a personal thing that you know that's you know your brother. It's a, supposed to be a personal, private matter. You, you don't do that over the internet to millions of people. You know, it's that's that's uh, abusing it, right? That's just right. abusing that that uh, that obligation, in my opinion. But and then the characters in in your work use it appropriately at at the moment of truth where they're 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 at that point where their lives are in danger and they yes. use, they use it for that reason and they know they don't some in some cases they don't know he didn't know um the in the in the um the book the passage that you just read he didn't know that that was going to matter to the guy who was about to kill him he right, said right. it you know he, he, he said he it because his hands up. yeah right he he said it because it's in his it's in his heart, and that he knows that he's at the end of his rope, and he's going to say those words because he's at the end of his rope, and it happened that the guy across the way with the gun in his hand knew what those words meant. Yeah, exactly, and you know, and then the, the very next story, you know, in my lecture is about um, 
a Japanese officer, World War II, and he's going down the line, shooting American prisoners in the back of the head, kicking them in a ditch. Okay? Bop, 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 right in the skull, kicking them in the ditch. In the, and and this, this, was a, this was a story from Brother Dan Ledger down in Savannah, and it was, and it was told to him from another Lodge brother. And that, that Mason, uh, he had a ring on there was an American soldier who had a ring on, about to be executed. The Japanese officer, who happened to be a Mason, you know, I didn't know Masonry was in Japan at the time, right? Um, he saw that ring and he angrily took it off and shoved that ring in the soldier's mouth. And then he deliberately shot over his head, kicked the soldier in the back, sent them tumbling into the ditch of dead soldiers. And he left them there. He played dead until nightfall, then successfully made his escape. So... Wow. Wow. Yeah, exactly. So you see how I, I kind of took the two stories with the ring and the German soldier and I kind of put them into that, that scene with, with old Duff. So it's just, yeah, you don't know when this is going to happen. It's, I mean, they're enemy, right? They're enemy soldiers are killing each other, but bam, it's like at some moment, all your loyalties to your government, your army, are put aside and the Masonic obligation comes out. It's, it's to me, to me personally, it's the most fascinating aspect. And that's, and that's what, that's what I latched onto when I became a Mason, when I first heard about that story of Joseph Brandt in upstate New York, and, you know, and again, from there, uh, you know, I got this whole entire series out of it. So that's pretty, a, pretty, that's outstanding. So tell us a little bit more about your, your journey with the books. Um, I mean, I when you, you started this, I guess it was a, a little bit of a passion project, but obviously you see it growing. You see your audience building, or how? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's uh, you know, I, I tell people in my lecture like, well, these books are my like my lottery ticket, right? You don't know if they're ever gonna, you know, get big and become you know bestseller someday, and and a movie's gonna be made made out of them. It's it's really like getting struck by lightning and. In, in the book industry, there's so many authors, there's so much competition. It's, you know, it's, it's relatively easy to write a book if you got the talent and the skills. Um, and that's, that's the, it's the best part about it. Uh, what's tough is, is marketing, marketing to a wide audience, um, getting to that target audience. Cause there's so much competition. So it's, for me, it's, I, I dig into Masonic history um, I'm having fun at it. I travel to different places. I interview a lot of people. So I'm out there, you know, experiencing life. <laughs> I, I mean, the last, last five years with the Map of Thieves book, after that book, you know, I learned all about Lost Cherokee Gold in the North Georgia Mountains. So me and a buddy have been looking for Lost Cherokee Gold, looking for caves, looking for carvings on rocks. So we're out there having fun, doing some treasure hunting, drinking some moonshine, you know, in experiencing, experiencing life. Uh, so it's, it's a passion, a hobby, if you will. Uh, and who knows where it's going to go. I mean, I'm doing lectures now based on my research on the book. So I'm traveling to different Masonic lodges, meeting a ton of brothers, making new friends. Um, and, and then they tell me their stories. They pull me aside and, and who knows where the next book story, the backstory of the next book is going to go based on what another brother tells me. 
They, I did, I'm sorry, Michael. <laughs> it's, it's my understanding that the gold is actually somewhere between Tacoa and Clarksville or Clayton, Georgia. It's in that vicinity, that triangle. It could be all over. There's... <laughs> No. No. Have you looked there? Uh, all over, all over North Georgia. There's tons of these these lost gold stories. Uh, it's it's centered around the Etowah River, which is directly north of Atlanta. But there's you know there's different tribes of Cherokee, and they couldn't take their gold with them when they were removed in 1838. So they had to bury it, you know, make carvings, make literally treasure maps. And uh, they were removed out west, and their descendants came, started coming back in the 1930s. And they came back with these maps in hand. And, you know, Indians started appearing in these communities where the whites had taken over their land generations ago. And based on their carvings on rocks and trees, some of them retrieved their lost gold. And other stories where, you know, locals actually found the stuff. There was a story in 1932 where three teenagers found like 35 pounds of bullion gold bullion after they dug underneath a rock and this is all in the newspaper so these stories pop up and you know you, you put all the clues together and you know we try and go out and uh try to f try to find lost caves lost gold mines um it's fun stuff it's exciting you know when you find a carving on a tree and you don't know what it means and it could lead to some treasure so i'm actually I'm, you know, I'm actually living what Jake Tanunda does in the books, you know, looking for lost treasure. And you get you, you feel that emotion, that that wow moment when you when you find something. Wow, that's that's neat. So Jake Tanunda, back to Jake, who mm -hmm. is a, a, a minor character in your first novel. And then it's also Jack's son's name becomes which, <laughs> which is, by the way, an awesome name. It's uh, my son's name too. Tanunda, yeah. Tanunda, though, is not my son's name. Where, where did that come from? Where, where did you? Oh, just... so, so Tanunda is totally made up. It's uh, you know, it's uh, based on it's an Indian name, it's a Seneca Indian name, but it's based on um, some of the towns up in upstate New York. You know, like Tanawanda, so kind of like Tanawanda, right? And then there was another town called Tunda, I think. So I just completely. Uh, put together a couple names and came up with Tanunda. And then I had to do like an internet search to make sure no one else had that name. <laughs> and, you know, I think the only name that popped up was like somewhere in Australia. So who knows? <laughs> but, so my yeah. wife, my wife told me I should ask you about the cover art. Uh, did mm -hmm. you have anything to do to do with the development of the cover art for these books? Oh, absolutely. Um, my whole career has been as a graphic designer and illustrator. So I did all the cover art myself. It's all done in Photoshop. Um, all three books, I do all the layout. Um, so yeah, Crown of Serpents, that's, that's the, the, the silver bust of the, the legendary Crown of Serpents that um, Atoharo wore. Map of Thieves, that's the Cherokee Indian knife with the, with the symbols on it. And then you have the Raven silhouette and that refers to the Raven Mocker, which is an evil witch in Cherokee legend. And then, of course, in Skull of Disguises, you have the skull with the it's called the it's called the Hoodoo Veve on, on the forehead, and it's got it's a it's a disguise. It could be the Masonic symbols. It also could be double X's, which means double distilled moonshine. <laughs> and then also, it's a Hoodoo Veve 
meaning success in business or commerce. And plus, that's against this, the Nazi swastika. So, again, it's um, uh, the cover has to be strong in these books. You have, to, you have to capture readers' attention right away with the cover art. It's very important. And then hopefully they'll flip it over and they'll read the synopsis and then you have them hooked. Well, it worked for me. How If someone wants to uh, get your books... What's the uh, what's the website? What's the best way for somebody to reach out to you? So especially for Masons, um, if you want a, a personalized sign, you know, autograph book, and I'll sign it to your name and your lodge, um, go to my website, carpavagecreative.com, and you can order the book from there. And that's a that's a large paperback, uh, six by nine book. Um, or you or you can go to Amazon. And the books are available in ebook format. You can get the paperback book there and also audiobooks. Right now, the first two books are, are audiobooks available. And the third book, Skull of Disguises, is presently in production. Um, and I'm going to tell you about the audiobooks. It's so much fun hearing my narrator, Mike Jameson. He's out of, he's out of California. And he's, a, uh, you know, he's an actor, songwriter. And it's so much fun to hear the characters come to life because he, because he'll, you know, do different accents. He has to, you know, he has to, <laughs> he has to talk like an Indian in one book. He has to talk like a Southerner in another book. He has to talk like a German in another book and speak like a woman in, in different scenes or a young teenager. And this guy pulls it off. And uh, just today I was listening to a chapter and you know, this is just a very powerful scene, very emotional scene, and my heart was beating um, when when he's doing the narration. You know, I was like, "Holy crap, man! He nailed it! He nailed that scene!" And other scenes, you know, I'm laughing. I'm laughing because he because because uh, he you know he hits the humor right on too. Um, so it's it's so cool hearing your your stories come to life in an audio recording. That's awesome. Well. Michael, thank you. Um, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're, we're going to keep you on the show for a few more minutes, but we're going to take a quick break. Uh, we're going to wrap up, let Jack go to the bathroom, Larry to Wait, do the what? news, or, or vice versa. Vice versa. <laughs> we'll be right back. Unlocking Symbols with Symbologist Michelle Snyder. King Midas unlocked. Fairy tales, legends, and folklore hold many secrets of times long past. King Midas of the Golden Touch is the story of a greedy king who begged a fairy to give him the ability to turn everything into gold by touching it. This, of course, was a very bad idea, as everything included his food and eventually his daughter. Soon he begged to be released from his affliction and was told to go rinse his hands in a river to wash away the curse. When he did so, everything was restored, including his golden daughter. Today this tale is told to teach the consequence of greed and the change in values it takes to cure it. To use our golden key on this tale, we must look at the process of electrolytes. Batteries work on this science, a lower element changing into a higher one, for example, tin into silver. As this process takes place, energy is produced. There must be a proper medium between the two elements, and so your car battery needs water. 
It has been known for a long time that if you can find a stream of water flowing past a gold factory that dumps its production waste into the water and you put a tin cup in it downstream, your tin cup will soon turn into electrolyte gold. The instruction for Midas to rinse his golden hands in the water of a river alludes to the electrolyte process. Another part of our golden key is history. Midas was said to be an excessively greedy king. This story is based on a real king who lived at a time when gem merchants traveled the land. They were very good at swindling their customers, and the king was angry about it. His wife, the queen, thwarted them by inventing coins. The coins provided a standard with which to weigh the precious gems, and the merchants could no longer swindle the king. They were so angry, they spread rumors about his greed. Stories and symbols are layered through time, like the process of palimpsest, where ink is scraped off an older papyrus and new writing put on, yet shadows of the old ink remain. King Midas is said to have a daughter whom he turned into gold in his greed, but the real King Midas on which this story is based did not have a daughter. Some not-so-pleasant history must be uncovered to see this layer. There was a time when young children, as young as five, were used in mining. They were smaller and could get into the tighter tunnels. Many died in this process. Once in a while a mine would flood with water and on at least one occasion the water was laden with gold powder. Centuries later, during excavation of a wall, a young girl was discovered. She was perfect in every detail. Her eyelashes, hair, and clothes, as well as the little basket she held, were preserved as electrolyte gold. This sensational discovery was added to the legend about the greedy king with the golden touch. For more oral tradition unlocked, read Symbology, Fairy Tales Uncovered. Next time, we will talk about magical, mysterious cats. If you'd like to take a deeper look, be sure to check out Michelle's book, Symbology Revision. A link for purchase can be found on the Freya Foundation website. That's freafoundation.net. While you're there, take a look at some of Michelle's other works and find out more about the Freya Foundation and its mission to research and publish the Ensman archives. Hey, this is Brother Justin Edling, Valley Lodge number 797 in Valley View, Pennsylvania, and you're listening to the Masonic Light Podcast. Hey, and we're back. Uh, another fun fact, besides the, um, I kind of alluded to it in the beginning, but you have a uh, background in cartography, and Larry, that means maps. I, I know that. Okay. I was telling you. you guys about his maps. I thought earlier. it was carts being drugged back No, and it's not about the fish at the bottom of the yeah. stream. No, okay. it's not carpography. Okay. It's cartography. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, like, so, like, haunted, like, tell us a little bit about your, uh, we think these are very cool. Tell us a little bit, a little bit about your work. So I have a design and publishing firm called Carpervice Creative. I'm a one-man show, and my biggest um, the, the biggest revenue stream that comes into my business is my map illustrations. So I'm hired um, to do commission map designs for colleges and universities all across the U.S. I've done some up in Canada, Europe, and so these are you know these are work for hire, one-off projects. And I've uh, done, done some incredible, worked with some incredible clients. Uh, this, one, this is a cool story. Uh, James Hetfield of Metallica, 
he had a ranch in California and he wanted a bird's eye view illustration of his ranch. So um, I was commissioned to do that job for, for Metallica's founder, which is pretty damn neat. Um, I've also done a uh, map for the, the Citadel in Charleston, the military college recently. Wow. And my biggest job to date uh, was just last year. I illustrated Pebble Beach Golf Resorts out in California. Uh-huh. And so if you go to that app, the free app, the Pebble Beach app, and you zoom in, you'll see my map work on the app. And they're doing the U.S. Open this year. And so what's really cool is, you know, uh, we had some we had some things embedded in the map too. Like I, I was able to put myself in the map and standing on a rock. The director of marketing's there, surfing on a board. Another another marketing guy uh, is uh, chipping a golf ball in a hole. I guess I'm hidden wildlife. So there's there's neat things like that. So in addition to my commission maps, I also have a line of retail tourism maps that I own, that I publish myself. I have a the Savannah trilogy of maps. I have a historic district map, a haunted map of Savannah, and then one of Bonaventure Cemetery. And also, last year I came out with a map of Charleston, South Carolina, their uh, historic district as well. So these maps are chock full of history and they're illustrated in a bird's eye view perspective as if you're up in a you know a hot air balloon they're very colorful tourists love them they're best sellers on amazon so i love doing i love doing the maps and incorporating history and illustration to these designs that's really cool i'm a uh, i'm a failed i'm a failed artist and larry's a failed author so we really appreciate you succeeding at both <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> like I said, it's a lottery, Larry. You never know if you're going to hit it big with the books, but it's fun doing them. What Pete doesn't know is you and I have had extensive conversations about marketing, selling, writing, and so forth, but I didn't yes. bring that into that because... Well, well, Larry, one of the things you need to do is finish the second book. Yes, you're right. You're right. Then you can worry about selling it. <laughs> Um, All right, Michael. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Well, did you have something else you wanted to say? I'm sorry. Well, I was going to say it's like uh, I've had I've had movie producers and directors contact me over the years. You know, they 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 feel these books are they make they make a great movie. Indiana Jones meets The Godfather. You know, that's that's kind of the reviews I get, and it's it's flattering. But I've learned that. Through the half dozen producers and directors that contact me, you know, I stay grounded because it all it all it's fallen through. They got it's all it's all a matter of raising funds and capital investment to produce these movies. So yeah. it's very very difficult, you know. But yeah. uh, and, and I, I hope you take this as a compliment. That's my intention. <clears throat> reading reading the book, I really almost I could feel like I'm watching a. Um, I don't know, like 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 an app, or not an Amazon, or Amazon or Netflix series. Like, I yes. I almost yeah. can like block it up into like hour segments for a TV show. Yeah, and that's see that's intentional. These this genre of the mystery thriller action adventure. There's a certain um, infrastructure to to writing these books. So you'll see that I try to leave every chapter as a cliffhanger, right? Mm-hmm. And then you go to another chapter and you have a different character's point of view. So you might have Jake Tanunda's point of view in one chapter. Then you switch over to the villain's point of view. And so, you know, you have to think 
in their minds. And so you use, you use wording that, that is associated with, say, that villain or his thoughts, right? And so, yeah, these, the scenes are set up like movie scenes. Like, I'll set this scene in the beginning of the chapter. I'll just kind of describe the setting. And then the movie plays out in your mind. And that's the beauty of reading the book is every, every reader has a different movie in their mind. Wow. So folks, cool. fans, um, definitely go to, uh, Korpava. <laughs> Sorry. Let me, let me help you. Let me well, help go you. with the website. Karpavaj Creative. Dot com. Yes. Karpavaj Creative. Dot com. That's Karpavaj with a K, by the way. Yes. And, and check these books out. It's, um, you're really going to enjoy. I think I read, I read Crown of Serpents in like four sittings. Like, I wow. mean, it's, yeah, it's like I did, I, I got, I sat down, yeah. I got sucked in for three hours and. It's a roller coaster. It absolutely yeah. is. Yeah. It was a great read. Excellent. Glad to hear that brothers. Well, thank you so much. We really appreciate you, uh, you, you putting up with us through all of our technological difficulties. <laughs> all right. Raise your glasses. <laughs> Fire the cannon. Coffee cups. Uh, yeah. My uh, coffee cup of Diet Coke. Thank you so much, brothers. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it, and uh, we wish you all the success in the world. Good news, everyone! Masonic Light News. News not fit to print. In Masonic News today, in a fantastic conflagration of fire and history, the Cathedral of Notre Dame in Paris was gutted by fire last week. It is believed the fire started in an area undergoing reconstruction and spread quickly to the wooden support structure which held the ceiling of this once great monument. After the fire was extinguished, inspectors were quick to identify that two of the three stained glass rose windows survived, as did nearly all of the iconic stonework that had stood for nearly 900 years while nearly all of the supporting timbers were reduced to ash. Area masons were quick to point out that their work stood the test of time, while the carpenters, not so much. (laughs) That's the Masonic news. So Quasimodo it was. (laughs) Like unto the Sidonians. Wow. Oh, wow. All right. All right, Too so soon? let's let's uh, wrap this show up. Uh, so, uh, Jack, what do you got going on masonically the next couple of weeks? Next couple, well, I've got Grotto on Sunday, and after that, I probably won't remember. But a great program coming up, which will be just the day before this podcast comes out. Yes, okay, whiskey so. with and without the e. Yeah. Yes. Um, what do I have coming up? I have. Uh, I guess the big thing is the Wildwood, uh, the Tall Cedars of Lebanon. Every year we have our convention in Wildwood, New Jersey. Um, I put myself in charge of booking everything for Lancaster and York Forests. We have, at this point, 15 rooms booked in the, in a motel. And I think uh, York Forest, they do a lot of work with the youth group. So York Forest is uh, getting four rooms for the youth. So each with four kids. So they're bringing 20... Joby's and uh, Dima Lay Down. What could go wrong? Oh, gosh. Yeah. Um, now, it's going to be a good time. And uh, that is, we kind of enter the slow time for Cedars because it's 
convention, then picnics and picnics and picnics and picnics. And then strawberry nights all over the place. Yeah, so, I think it's kind of yeah. slow. So I, I got to, before you before you end, Pete, I, I just got to bring this up. There's, there's a whole array of stuff in front of you right now. There's, there's a giant container of Tic Tacs. Tic Tac orange. Mm-hmm. Tic Tac orange. Mentos gum. Dumb, 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 dumb lollipop sucker things, whatever the heck those are. Diet Coke and flossing sticks. Yes, oral health is very important. (laughs) (laughs) When you're putting this much sugar into your body, you want to make sure you keep your teeth clean. But there's no insulin in sight. I don't understand. You never know what you're going to get on the Masonic Life. Well, if I've learned one thing in this past week. Don't have low blood sugar. That's correct. Because <laughs> crap, crap We're just stop oh. that there. Oh, oh, yeah. no. oh come on, All do right. it. Say let me get let me get control it. of this here, Josh. What do you got going on Masonically? Uh, I've got a district deputy grandmaster meeting coming up. Uh, visitation. So oh, sounds like a blast. <laughs> Larry will be there, of course. Yeah, make sure your secretary has his books in order. What? What? That's good. I'm <laughs> I'm on hiatus. I'm not coming back till June. Okay. That's Strawberry Night. I'll be oh. back for Strawberry Night. <laughs> All, right. All right. So uh, quasi-Masonically, a uh, number of us from the uh, Cigar Lodge have tickets to the Cigar Fest that's coming up on May 3rd and 4th at Cigars International. So if any of you are there and uh, happen to bump into us, uh, uh, make sure you check me out and we'll get your uh, we'll get a tag posted. You know what would be nice, podcast. Tim? Yeah. As mu- many plugs as you give Cigar International, they could maybe drop us. I was going to say, we should, I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> what? Push, I'm pushing to get them to be a sponsor. So. Yeah, you ought to be. Yeah, you're right. Anyway. Um, they can pay in cigars. Exactly. Well, that's true. They could. Uh, so... Um, I realize that our next guest uh, will talk a little bit more about this, but on the 17th and 18th of May is the Valley of Harrisburg Spring Reunion. So uh, it's uh, not too soon to plan your uh, trip there. And uh, if you need any of the Scottish Rite degrees, check the website. Uh, make your plans to attend the uh, Scottish Rite Reunion in Harrisburg on the 17th and 18th of May. Bring your cold weather gear. Bring your cold weather gear. That's right. All right, Larry, uh, take us out of here. Start by telling us if you've got anything other than Strawberry Night uh, coming up, and then take us out of here. Uh, I have nothing coming up, no. All right. So cue the chickens. A special thanks to Ephrata Lodge 665 for allowing us to have our beautiful studio in the basement below the liquor store. Also to uh, to our uh, our producer Josh, uh, I will say Lamberton because that's his Facebook name. Uh, to our director of news Jack Harley, to our marketing guru Tim Dedman, and also Guru 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 Guru. Also our 401k statement analyst Dowson Burnham. Our business forecaster Luigi Board and our complaint line operator who we have been getting some complaints for our complaint operator leave on hold and our corporate spokesman Hugh Lionsack <laughs> is he French? is he French? Lionsack this is Larry good night thanks for listening and Jack Car- Michael Carpavage. <laughs> Peter Jerry. Oh, wait. And Josh. And this is Tim Dedman. Goodbye, everybody.
Bye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>